Yo, 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 what's good, what's good? It is your boy, F. Stott Foster, back for another episode of 28 Minutes or Less. And this is episode 123 of the podcast. And the subject matter that I have today is a 1990 film done by one of the best directors, in my opinion, Martin Scorsese, and it's the film Goodfellas. Now, the thing about this subject matter is, see, this is something that I would typically do on the Views Anonymous with my guy, Scoots Bronson. Um, we did an appreciation episode on Martin Scorsese. We did the film Casino, which he was more of a fan of Casino. I'm more of a fan of Goodfellas. And it's just one of those things where, you know, it just keeps getting pushed down the list. And I was just like, man, this is something that, that, um, I really, really wanted to uh, dive into. So, figured I would do it on here. Now, before I can really talk about the film, like, you have to talk about Martin Scorsese. And when we did the appreciation on him, I did a lot of research and, like, I learned a lot of things about him. And, you know, you don't really know unless you are around him, but just like how funny of a guy he is, or even if you watch his interviews, very funny guy. His mom is hilarious. She's Tommy's mom in this movie. Like he always, it's more than a cameo. Like he always gives his mom, you know what I'm saying? A, a couple of scenes in the movie, you know, in Casino, she was the guy's mom that owned that one, um, it was some kind of store and it was the scene where the dude was always like cussing in front of his mom and she was like, you need to stop cussing. And he was always bitching about like what was going on in Vegas and all that type of shit. Like that is Martin Scorsese's mom. And in this movie, she's Tommy's mom. And he had the whole little scene where, you know, she cooked the breakfast. Well, it wasn't breakfast, but she had cooked them all some food after they just murdered this dude. And they was going to the house to get a shovel and he took the knife and she showed the picture of the uh, of the dog and the old man on the uh, on the boat joint so um but when i watched a, a interview like martin had did a interview where he interviewed his parents and you can see it there like she just has this charisma man she's a very very funny lady so i can see why he put her in his movies because he knows like this isn't just like a family affair. This is like, yo, like my mom got talent and I'm gonna put her in my films. And it's a very, very smart idea for him to do that. Um, I just think that like, the one thing that I like about him the most is the fact that he knows his lane. Um, and I know that it does get to a point where it's just like, yo, all of your movies got Robert De Niro in them. All your movies got Joe Pesci in them. Or, you know what I mean? You use Al Pacino a lot. You know what I mean? Or Ray, Ray Liotta. And everybody from the fucking Sopranos is in this shit. But motherfucking Tony Soprano. Like, every, like half of the cast in this movie and other Martin Scorsese's movies, a lot of those people play in the Sopranos. And... So he uses a lot of the same people and he uses a lot of the same, not the same stories, but similar stories. 
And he's an Italian guy and he likes the Italian mob stories. And I think that if you want to really survive in this business, I know that there are different ways. I'm pretty sure like, if you look at Martin's catalog, like, yes, I'm pretty sure he has took some chances on some films, but you know, mostly when you really look at the things that he have done, then yes, like a lot of the movies are his background. You know what I'm saying? Um, but you know, I mean, he done Taxi Driver, he done Mean Streets, you know what I'm saying? He, he done some, some things that are, they're, they're all really in the same lane. And the, the biggest thing about him is when he tells a story, if you notice, like a lot of his movies are over two hours, almost three hour movies. And I think that he has a thing the way he doesn't really like to cut a lot of shit. And that's why like a lot of his movies be super fucking long. There is a, a rumor that is out right now that he has a new movie coming out that's supposed to be coming out soon and it's supposed to be four hours. Now, The Irishman was like three hours and a half. And a lot of people criticized The Irishman. I thought The Irishman was good. Now, there was a few things that I did not like. I don't mind him doing the CGI because I think that the way that he felt it was like more of like, okay, like I'm only gonna get exactly what I want with the people that I have. And the one thing that he should have got a double for was the scene where, and it's so funny because there's a scene in this movie, but this, but this movie came out in 1990, like Robert De Niro still can pull it off. But there's a scene where Robert De Niro is stumping the dude in front of a store and the Irishman, and it's like, yo, come on. <laughs> like, come on, Martin. This dude's way too old to be stumping somebody in front of a store. That shit looked, first of all, it looked hilarious. That's number one. But it did not look up to par because Robert De Niro is just too old to be stumping somebody. Um, but he loves these stories. And I just feel like why, why go off the deep end and do something that you're not comfortable with. Like Martin is to a point where he does not have to do something that he's not comfortable with doing. Like he's he's made he's made his footprint in the game and there's no need to do something unless you are 100% into it. So that's number one, get that out of the way. Now when it comes to this movie, you know, um, Like I said earlier, Robert De Niro, Ray Liotta, Joe Pesci, like Lorene Bronco, like they like this, like the cast itself, dope as fuck. And I like the way that he he gave everybody their opportunity to shine. 
Now, another thing that's very similar about this movie, Goodfellas and Casino, is just Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci is the short dude that always has a very short temper and is always the guy that can ruin a situation. Now, this is something that me and Scoots Brunson argued about when it came to Casino, because he was like, Robert De Niro, as a Sam Rothstein, couldn't be the person that he wanted to be without Nikki, right? My thing was, I get what you're saying, but at the same time, he always brought too much heat to a situation because he was always so quick to, he was always so quick to kill somebody over an insult to the fact of, well, you know what I'm saying, the body started to add up and the FBI started to always, you know what I'm saying, zoom in on them because of the things that Joe Pesci, the character, was doing. And even in this movie, like, you know what I'm saying? like. They killed Billy Bats for no reason because he insulted, but he didn't really insult him. He, well, he did because they walk into a bar. Billy Bats just got out of jail and he sees Tommy walk in and he's like, yo, you know, basically like, what's up, Tommy? You know, um, he's like, man, come tell me, hey, man, you know, I just got out, blase, blase. So he walks back over and, um, he was like, yo, he said, man, well, they used to call him Spit Shine Tommy. And he was just like, yo, he was like, hey, it's been a long time. Don't nobody call me that anymore. And he was like, all right, man, you know, I'm sorry. He said, I see you all grown up now. You know, you got the suit on and everything. And, um, and so he was just saying, you know, a lot has changed, you know. And so he was like, I mean, he was like, if you really want me, he was like, man, look, I just got, I just got out, man. I'm just busting your balls a little bit. He's like, if you really want me to bust your balls, I tell you to go home and get your, uh, your uh, shoe shine box. And so he, he he's about to blow, but he don't blow yet. And then he was just like, you know, go home and get your fucking shoe shine box. And then so he flips out, tell them to keep him there and all this type shit. And so. <laughs> it was so funny because because James and Henry was, was talking to him like, man, look, everything's cool, man. He was like, nah, he was like, man, I'm just busting his balls a little bit and he want to get an attitude. And he was like, and, and, and James was like, man, you really kind of insulted him a little bit. He was like, no, I didn't. He was like, yes, you did. He was like, no, I didn't. So, <laughs> so Tommy comes back and then he just started stabbing him. And then all three of them, and this is uh, the scene where Robert De Niro, who's James Conway, starts stomping them. And so they ended up putting them in the trunk. And that's how the movie started. The movie started with them riding down the road, hearing something in the trunk. Like that's how the movie starts. But then they show you that scene in the middle of the movie, which is, which is genius, the way that he set it up. Because this was the movie, or excuse me, this was the scene that really turned the whole movie around especially when it came to Tommy. And this is why Tommy ended up getting what got what he got to him because of his temper of what he did to Billy Bats when Billy Bats was the made man.
who just got back from serving time when he didn't snitch on nobody. Now, snitching is a very important part of this movie. That's what this whole movie is about. This movie is based on a book, and this whole movie is surrounded around the story of Henry Hill. And Henry Hill, I gotta get this out of the way, was a snitch, okay? Usually, snitches don't get. Well, it's starting to make a turn. Um, because I think the way, I think that snitching is starting to get a different look. But I think sometimes people kind of get it twisted on necessarily what snitching is. For me, if you see a crime happen that you are not involved in and you're not involved in any criminal organization or anything like that, you're just a civilian, you see some shit happen, you call the police, it's not snitching. If you are in a crime organization where you are a part of doing some of the crimes and you get pinched and you tell on the people that you've been working with, you are a snitch. Now, something that can intertwine if you are part of a crime organization and you get pitched and you tell on y'all ops as far as like you part of the Gambino family and you tell on somebody in the Soprano family who's, you know what I'm saying, it's your ops. If they're your enemies, you doing what you need to do to cut some time. All right, cool. Because there's not, they're not part of your team. If you tell on your team, that's snitching. Henry Hill was a snitch. And we'll get to a lot of his story a little later on in the podcast. But to finish up with Tommy, Joe Pesci is really, really a good actor. Um, you know, he went away for a while, but then he ended up coming back for the Irishman. And, you know, him playing, it's funny seeing him play the short-tempered guy that's supposed to be the tough guy because he's like so much smaller than everybody else. And it's so hilarious that he's the person that fear everybody. And one of my favorite scenes, because like Joe Pesci is a really funny guy. And if y'all know the movie, you know where I'm going. So, the word is the way that this was. I, I, I had it wrong on the Viewers Anonymous. Because I end up hearing the story again. So there's a scene where they're in the restaurant. They're always in a restaurant. So that don't really zero it down. So Tommy's telling these jokes about, it's not even really jokes, it's about shit like that happened when he's making it funny. So the guy that owns the restaurant comes up to him. And he's like, yo, like, you know, this is the bill or whatever, whatnot. And Thomas like, put it on my tab. And he was like, well, that's the problem. He was like, your tab is $7,000 and you haven't paid it yet. 
And so he gets up, kicks him. It's like, you know, get the fuck out of my face, blah, 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 all this type of shit. So anyway, he's telling the story. And Henry's like, oh man, like he's la laughing hysterically, which is funny just the way that he's laughing in the first place. And then he's like, Nikki, you a funny guy. He was like, what do you mean? Like, how am I funny? Like, you know, you just, you just a funny guy, the way you tell a story. He's like, no, tell me how the fuck am I a funny guy? He's like, well, I amuse you, I make you laugh. He said, what's so fucking funny about when I tell a story? Is it my voice? Like, what, what is so funny? What is so fucking funny about me? He's like, I don't, like, I don't know, Nikki. I mean, you, you know, the way you tell a story is just, it's just funny how you tell a story. And he was like, yeah, but what's so fucking funny about it? And then he's like, man, just quit playing. And he was just like, man, see, I almost had you. Like, you were stuttering on that whole scene was improv. Like, nobody knew, but I think I, I told it wrong the first time. Ray and Joe knew. And what they were doing was they was really doing it to everybody else around. I initially thought Joe was told by Martin to do that to Ray, but when I heard it over, them two was in cahoots to fool everybody else around to what everybody else's faces and their reactions are like, oh shit, like he, you know, that, I guess they was thinking that he had, what's my dude name? Oh man, my dude that played Lincoln and Joint. I forgot what his name was. But I guess they thought that he was method acting where he was so into it to like he really turned into Tommy at, at that moment. So that was really cool. But Martin does that a lot. He does a lot of improv in his movies, but when you work with the same people for the amount of time he's been working for everybody, everybody knows what he wants and everybody knows what he's looking for and he trusts them. So a lot of those scenes that are improv, you are getting the people's real reaction and Martin really really liked that uh, that's one thing about his directing is like he let a lot of people do shit because he likes to get the natural reaction because he's like that's the best material that you're gonna get so it's just there are so many iconic scenes with Joe Pesci in this movie like the scene where you know what I'm saying he's sitting in the car when they're about to set this one place on fire and like in this movie have a lot of iconic scenes, um, you know, cause Ray Liotta is narrating this movie. And so when the dude from that restaurant went to one of the bosses to tell them about Tommy, he ended up asking him to go into the restaurant business with him. So during the narration of when they're bringing in everything to the restaurant, he was like, yo, when you get in the business with Paulie, you know, it's fuck you pay me. It's like, you know, I'm not, you know, the restaurant is going down. Fuck you pay me. Your mom's six. Fuck you pay me. You know what I'm saying? Jay-Z used that in a song. You know what I mean? Like, so there's a lot of iconic things that come out of these movies. These Italian um, mob movies. You know, even Casino, there's a lot of lines 
that come from that movie as well. But with him doing what he's doing to Billy Bats, you know what I'm saying? And then like to finish that scene, cause I kind of skipped over there, but like he was sitting in the car and so he was like, yo man, I've been trying to bang this broad, you know what I'm saying, for months now. He said, but the only problem is, and then <laughs> he was like, no. He was like, you don't even know what I'm gonna say. He was like, I know what you're gonna say. And the answer is no. He was like, like, what the fuck you mean? Like, I'm asking you to do me a favor. You don't even know what the favor is. He was like, all right, well tell me. He was like, well look man, I've been trying to bang this broad for months. And she's kind of scared of Italians, which don't make no sense. He was like, I don't know why the fuck she's scared of an Italian. And um, he said, I think he said that she was Jewish or whatever. He was like, she got this thing where she's scared of Italians and she won't go out alone with me. And so she got this friend. And he was like, see, I knew it. He was like, man, just do me this one fucking favor. He was like, man, I just want you to double date with this girl so I can pay this broad. He was like, man, what the fuck is the problem? And it was just so funny. They were just sitting there arguing while the place is about to blow up. You know what I'm saying? All the smoke is coming out of this building. And he just wanted him to go out on a date with him. And it was so funny, the date, because when he went out on a date, you know, it ended up being Karen. And the first time that they went, like, he was rushing because he was like, I had to be somewhere at 11 o'clock. So he's like, y'all really got to be somewhere. And so he's rushing, really trying to get out. You know, he, he dragged her out of the car, pushed her into her house, all this type shit. So they were supposed to do another date, and he, he stood her up. And then she came on the block, you know what I'm saying? And started cussing my dude out. It was like, yo, don't you ever stand me up and all this type shit. And come to find out, like that moment was the moment that he really, really like saw her. And he knew that she was gonna be the woman that he wanted to continue his life with. And it was funny of like, the, how the fact that he didn't even want to go on a date with her in the first place, then he go on a date with her, didn't pay her any attention until the day that they ran up on him. And then that's when he got this attraction from her because she was yelling at his ass. But see, Henry already had some weird wiring shit going on with him in the first place. You know what I'm saying? When it came to a relationship with, between him and his dad and his mom and the way that he grew up and how he really became a man you know what I'm saying, around the age 13, 14 years old. And it was just funny that Tommy ended up still being a part of the person that he ended up marrying. But Tommy is just a really, really interesting person. Now to close it out on him because of the whole Billy Bats thing, Tommy was getting made. Now, if you watch a lot of Italian movies, like we all know that you have to be 100% Italian to where they can they can track all of your your bloodline back to Italy and all of that type shit. And so when he was getting made, James was super happy about it because he was like, with us having a guy on our team being made, we could get away with a lot of shit. Because when you get made, nobody can touch you. Like, the reason why he got what he got as far as Tommy, because he killed the made man. Like, if you want to touch a made man, you have to go sit down with the families 
and have a discussion with them and they will give you the okay if you can touch this guy or not, which is really a very powerful thing to have to know. And I think that especially with men and their egos, to know that nobody can touch you, nobody can fuck with you because you are a made man, that's a lot of fucking power to have. And I'm pretty sure that's going to take you to a point where you talk a lot of shit to people because you know nobody can touch you. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of that thing of like when someone can get punked, but then they got a gun and then all of a sudden they're talking shit. That's really something similar to being a made man. So he's getting made. And so they walk into the house. And they shoot him in the back of the head. Excuse me, shoot him in the back of the head. And then they end up, you know, shooting him more times in the face so he couldn't have an open casket. And that was to send a message for killing the main man in Billy Bats. When it comes to James Conway, I love James Conway. Um, you know, even the first time that they brought him into the movie. It was him coming into like this gambling spot and he's giving, you know what I'm saying, give the doorman a hundred dollars. He's walking through giving everybody money. And like the way everybody looked at James Conway, they looked at him like, yo, he's the man. He was 24 years old. And they was like, yo, he's the man. Like, and Henry was 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 so captivated with him. And he just knew that this was a person that he wanted to be like because, you know what I'm saying, he had this reputation. And also being 24 years old, when he had that, 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 um, when he had that reputation, you know, this was a person that, that he really drew himself to. So I like how they brought him into the movie, but he was a guy that loved to steal from people. But he was also a guy that, he was very generous within stealing from a lot of people. Like they used to rob a lot of trucks back then that had cigarettes on them. And they used to sell the cigarettes, you know what I'm saying? And, and make a huge profit because I mean, anytime you watch a lot of movies that are based in like the 80s and shit like that, everybody is fucking chain smokers. But then at the same time, you could smoke everywhere too back then. I mean, you could smoke on planes, you could smoke in restaurants, you could smoke like anywhere. You know what I'm saying? So selling bootleg cigarettes, not even really, well, they bootlegged them, but you know what I'm saying? Selling these cigarettes that they stole, like, oh, not Tommy, but James was really into that shit. Like he just, he just, he just got a thrill from stealing from people. And so that was another way that they ran their business or whatever. And like, he would do things like, there was a scene where he's getting all of the cigarettes off the back of the truck, these cops pull up, and so he grabbed two packs of the cartons and he slipped, I don't know, a thousand dollars into the cigarettes and then gave it to the cops. You know, basically putting them on payroll. Like, like James was one of those type guys. And one of my favorite scenes of him is so after they did like the really, really big job, um, I forget what it was when they robbed the airport or whatever. And so, they went to this bar that they always go to to celebrate. And so one guy comes in. <laughs> they pulled up in a pink Cadillac, right? 
And Jay said, what did I tell you? He was like, what do you mean? Like, what did I tell you? And he's like, buy nothing big. What did I tell you? He was like, Jimmy, I'm sorry. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? He was like, Jimmy, like, I'm, 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 I'm sorry. What did I tell you? <laughs> he just kept saying it over and over and over again. It, it, it is so hilarious because I know that had to be improv because I don't know what Robert De Niro was doing at that moment, but he could not say nothing else. But what did I tell you? It is it's hilarious to me. So then after he said, what did I tell you 27 times? He told the dude to go take the car back. So then the next guy that walks through the door, his wife got on a brand new fur mink like I'm talking about this thing is me and he was like man look at this he takes it off of he's like look he takes the coat off of this dude's wife it was like what did I tell you don't buy nothing big he rolls it up throws it to him take this shit back he said I don't ever want to see it ever again he was like I told you the cops is watching us I told you not to buy nothing big but like that was like one of my favorite parts. And then fucking um, what's my dude name? I think his name is Marty. Um, oh man, what's my dude name? Um, no, Morris. Like Morris got on his last fucking nerves because Morris had this fucking wig shop. And so he asked them basically for money for his wig shop. And he never wanted to pay. And so I like the scene where James had wrapped the fucking phone around his neck, trying to choke him out, you know what I'm saying, for him to give up the money. But then, like, he never wanted to give up the money, but he always wanted his money up front. Like, when they did that job, like, Morris had, you know, got involved in the job, but he wanted his money in advance. It's like, dude, first of all, you never pay for the things that you ask for, but then, when they get you in on a job, you want your money in advance, and then you keep hounding them about giving you that money. So that was the funny thing that was always between Morris and James. So that was really funny. Um, but like the turn in James is something that was very interesting because when they all went to jail and they got out, things had got a little different because Henry started, when he got locked up, he started fucking with these dudes from Pittsburgh. So he started, you know what I'm saying, actually selling drugs. And that was something that they never really did. They never got into the drug stuff. Like they would rob people, they would hustle people and all of this shit, but they never really fucked with drugs. And Paulie, had told, like, he was like, look, he told Henry, look, I know what you're doing. You out now, leave that shit alone. And he was like, I'm, I'm done. But he goes and he does it anyway. And he gets James involved and Tommy. But with all of the other shit, that's going on. James knew 
when Henry got pinched and was out, was able to get out on bond, he kept trying to get in touch with him. Now there's a scene. Now, like I said, all of the story is 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 Henry Hill's story. You know what I'm saying? Karen goes to see James and telling him about you know how they're broke and you know all of this other shit. So he ends up giving her, you know what I'm saying, some money or whatever. And he's like, yo. Go down, go down the street, take this right. There's a, a, a store that got some dresses down there if you want them. And she was like, no, nah, I'm good. He's like, no, just, just, just go down there. Just, just go. So he's waving her to go down to the store, you know what I'm saying, to pick up these dresses and shit. So when she finally gets down there, he's like, you know, go in, like go in. And it was just these dudes like in there, like packing like boxes and shit. So she gets scared and she assumes that James was trying to kill her. So Henry finally gets the balls to meet on um, meet James, and he tells like James tell him like, look man, that's some shit going on, blase blase. I need you to go to Florida and go kill this dude for me. And he was like, that's when I knew I. Henry was like, that's when I knew I was never coming back from Florida because he never asked me to kill somebody before. He's like never, and now all of a sudden you want me to go kill somebody because this is shit that you always give to a lower man. And to assume that James wanted to kill him and to kill his wife was because they felt that how else would I have gotten out of jail if I didn't snitch? But something else you also got to understand about James is James killed the whole crew that did the airport robbery. Like there's a whole scene where you find Frenchie in a dumpster. You find um, they killed uh oh what's uh what's Sam L name in here? Um uh, what's Sam L name in here? I forgot what his name was. Uh Stacks. They killed Stacks. Because he was supposed to get rid of the, his whole job was he had to get away car, and then when you get done, take the car to Jersey and go get it smashed or whatever. Well, he gets his girl, and the police find the car. And he never went and got the car smashed, so they kill Stacks. So they kill Stacks. They find Frenchie in a dumpster. They find uh, Frankie in a fucking meat truck, and it took two days to thaw him out. Like, he killed everybody to help him with the job. Cause he's like, yo, I'd rather kill, I'd rather whack all of you guys than to pay y'all. That, like, James was just, he was just a weird dude. Now, I understand the stacks killing for the simple fact of, like, you a dude that hang around and you play music. We don't know if we can trust you not to snitch on us. So I understand the whole fact of killing stacks. But to kill the whole crew, that was just the type of dude that James was. Like he was, he was a really different type of dude. He really didn't trust anybody. He didn't really trust anybody with Henry and Tommy, really. Um, so he was a very strange character. Um, but Henry Hill, 
first of all, rest in peace to Ray Liotta. And he murdered Henry Hill. Um, the narration, the temperament, he really put on, in my opinion, an acting clinic when it came to this movie. Um, Ray Liotta is a guy that, he's a very well-rounded dude um, when it comes to the acting game. Man, we've seen him in a multitude of different type of films, um, where it came to comedy, where it came to action, where it came to drama, you know, he's a suspense mystery. Man, he was in this one movie called Slow Burn, man. It was an underrated movie that a lot of people don't know about, man. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to do a pot on that at some point. But, absolutely kills the role in my opinion. Um, Henry Hill was always like the middle guy. He was the guy who, who made sense of things. Like anytime there was a scene where like there was a lot of yelling going on or something like that, Henry was the guy to pull somebody aside and have a conversation with them to make the situation better as, as best as he could. Because being around those monsters as, you know what I'm saying, as young as he was, like he was able to get an understanding to try to find that middle ground. Like anytime there was some shit with Morris and James, he was the guy that tried to bring light to the situation. You know what I'm saying? When it came to uh, Billy Bats and Tommy, he tried his best to, to bring down the tension in the room. Like Henry was that type of guy, but Henry was in the game so long. And there's a scene where when he first take Karen out on a real date, there's a scene where they go to the restaurant and they're walking through the back and he's talking to everybody. And like at this point, something that was really dope about what Martin Scorsese does is he changed the narration he had. He had Karen do the narration. And so when they're walking through, she was like, yo, like this dude knows everybody. He's walking through the kitchen, everybody's saying, hey, Henry. They go to this place where this comedian is up there. They bring a table out of nowhere, fucking sit the table, in, you know what I'm saying, right in front of the stage. Everybody's shaking his hand. Like, she's like, yo, I don't know. And she asked him what he does. He's like, I'm in construction. And she was like, it don't seem like you're in construction to me because, like, the way everybody is gravitating towards you, that shit turned her on. And I like how he ended up changing the narration. But they, chemistry to me on film was the best chemistry in this movie. Um, when it came to Karen and when it came to Henry. Um, the whole thing of them getting that bond, you know, like that one scene where she calls him up. And it's so funny because this is the scene where James has the phone cord around the neck of Morris when he's asking him for the money. Karen calls him there. Um, from payphone, he go picks her up from the payphone, and there's a scene where they were eating at this country club joint, and so this guy came up, came up and said hey to her, and he asked who's that guy, and she said that's my neighbor, he stays across the street. So apparently she asked him for a ride or something. He started getting touchy feely and kicked her out of the car, cause she said no, stop touching me. So he takes her home. Go, grabs his gun, go across the street. A dude is standing there. Well, he's working on his car with two of his friends there. Broad daylight, walks up to him, pistol whips the guy in front of everybody. 
goes back across the street, gives Karen a gun, and was like, you know, hide this somewhere, you know, just in case he tried to, you know what I'm saying, get funny. So, just the way that they interacted with each other throughout the film, and then how she ended up getting involved in the business as far as when he started selling drugs, because she really became like one of his partners when he started selling drugs after he served time in prison. Now, the whole thing about him serving time in prison was, and another thing that, it's in really all of these Italian mob movies, or even shows when it comes to The Sopranos. Everybody got their wife, but everybody always got their side chicks on the side. And where they had set days where they would go out with the side chicks and shit like that, and then Henry ended up getting one of his girls a whole fucking apartment. So he got her a whole apartment down the street so he could spend a night with her a couple of nights a week. And so when he got pinched, him, Paulie, James, all of them got pinched or whatever, old girl would come see him at the prison. Now, Karen found out about her before, they, before he went to prison because there's a whole scene where she got her kids and she's ringing the bell, calling her a whore, you know what I'm saying? Calling the uh, management saying, I got a whore that lives in, you know what I'm saying, 5B or whatever the case may be and all of this type shit. So she's like going ham on girls. So when she went, she was sneaking shit into the prison for Henry. And she saw that old girl had came too. And she fucking starts wilding out in the fucking um, I was about to say waiting room in the fucking visiting room wilding out in there and that's, that's something that you cannot have that was very dangerous I understand she was pissed off that the woman came to see him but like at the same time you saying after, after you act all erratic and all this shit you say how Paulie's not talking to you and all this type of shit. And the hammer's like, yo, look, when, when, when someone's serving time, nobody talks to anybody, nobody's helping anybody because nobody want to make any moves. So I have to sell this stuff in here and then give you money. I understand you are upset that this woman came to see me. But at the same time, if you don't want to get no job, which she did not want to get no job, and all of your income for you and the kids is coming from me selling the shit. Don't be swinging the shit in the fucking air saying once you get her to bring this shit in here. As a matter of fact, he does probably got her bringing the shit in here too. He needs both of y'all to bring this shit in here. So chill the fuck out. And I think that she, look, first of all, you already knew what he was doing in the first place. You went to the girl's house cussing her out on the buzzer machine. So you already accepted the fact that your man is fucking another woman. So just bring this shit. Honestly, shut the fuck up and keep bringing me the shit. That's all it really is to it. Um, but their chemistry was really, really good in this movie, man. Like the scene where when they got, uh, when they had got busted, She had threw all the drugs in the toilet 
And so when they ended up bailing him out and he's looking for the drugs and he's like, yo, where's that drugs that I hit? She's like, I flushed it down the toilet. He's like, Karen, why would you do that? And she was like, they would have found it. He was like, they never would have found it. She was like, they would have found it. And like he's on the floor, like he's beating the wall. He slides down on the floor, put his hands over his face, and she hugs him and she's screaming, I'm sorry. It's like that chemistry was so good, man. And that other scene where when she knew that he was cheating on her, the very first time that she figured it out, he woke up and she was sitting on top of him with a gun to his face. And so he's like talking her down, you know, I love you, blase blase, you know, put the gun down. She's like, I'm sick of this shit, blase blase. And so then he finally get her to kind of load the gun a little bit. He grabs the gun, punch her in the face. She falls to the floor. Then he puts the gun on her face. How does it feel, Karen? How does it feel? I got to deal with this shit from you. And then just like, they chemistry was really, really good in this movie, man. But I'm rambling. But like the, the, final, the final scenes of this movie um, was really, really dope. Because so Henry, so before he got busted, he had to go over to Jimmy and sell him some guns. But he's like, I had a feeling he wasn't going to get the guns. But he also had to meet the guys from Pittsburgh. So when he leaves the house, he sees his helicopter. Now, at this point, my dude is heavily into snorting cocaine now. So he goes over to Jimmy. Jimmy don't want any of the guns. He was like, I kind of figured that. So he was like, I just asked the dudes from Pittsburgh do they want it. So he's driving. He's like, yo, man, this fucking helicopter is following me, following me. So he goes, he dumps the guns at Karen's mom's house. He go pick her up and tell her because he, everybody think he's paranoid. And when she gets in the car, it's like, oh, shit, like there really is a fucking helicopter following you. So they lose the helicopter, dump the guns. Well, they go back to pick up the guns and then they go. Meet the dudes from Pittsburgh. Meet the dudes from Pittsburgh. They make their exchange. And he's like, yo, I got these guns. Do you want these guns too? They're like, yeah, you know, blase, blase. So he gives them the guns. Then he goes back home. Because he had to pick up his brother from the hospital. So when he went to the hospital, the doc sees he looks fucking crazy as hell. End up giving him a bike and then send him on his way. So he's supposed to be cooking his dinner too. So he's cooking his dinner, and so then he has to go over to Sandy, cause Sandy had to go, you know what I'm saying, cook up the drugs, you know, chop it up, all that type shit or whatever. And so he tells Sandy, you know what I'm saying, to clean up the place or whatever, like that's why I bought you this dishwasher, all this type shit or whatever, whatever. So then comes back home, so they're finally eating the dinner and shit, and the babysitter, supposed to fly somewhere she needs to get her lucky hat now before all this happens he calls her and tells her to book the flight he tells her to do it on the outside line it was like don't fucking play around use a payphone she's like all right i got it i got it she hangs up the phone and then picks that bitch right back up and fucking calls so when he goes to take her home to get her lucky hat, boom, he gets busted. And so anyway, Henry is 
spiraling down because Karen dumped the drugs and they used her mom's house to get Henry out of jail. And the drugs that she flushed down the toilet was 60 grand. So now he has to go to Pauly. After Pauly told him, when he first got out, I know what you did when you was there. When you was locked up, that's cool, but you're out now. Don't do this drug shit. So he's at Pauly, he crying, all this type shit. Say how he's sorry, but he broke, he ain't got no money, blah, blah, blah. So Pauly ended up giving him $3,200. And he's like, oh, he gave me 30, all the work I did for you, you give me $3,200. It's not even enough to do this or whatever, whatever. Pauly didn't have to give you shit, but he gave it to you. Okay. So now he's talking to the FBI and they're looking into going into protective custody. And so basically, I'm not gonna go into all the details, but they ended up testifying against Jimmy, testifying against Pauly, all this type of shit. And one thing that Pauly had said, which that showed it in the end credits, but when Pauly was talking to him and said, I know what you was doing in there, but don't do it now. He was like, I don't want to be, he, he brought up an example of another um, boss guy who died in prison in the 70s. He was like, yo, that's, I do not want to be that guy. But when he snitched on him and they showed he died in prison when he was either 73 or 76 years old or some shit like that. So Paulie got exactly what the fuck he did not want. And so, this movie, man, is, is very well put together. I obviously didn't do its justice on this podcast, but there was just a few thoughts that I really, really wanted to get off when it came to it. But man, Martin Scorsese is one of the greatest. Robert De Niro is one of the greatest. Ray Liotta, Joe Pesci, like all of these dudes, you know, really, really put in work, man, and to see you know what I'm saying, a young Sam L, you know what I'm saying, he didn't have the biggest part in this movie, but you know, to even be involved, like I know there's always this race dynamic when it comes to it, you know, like there's one scene where um, one of the truck drivers who got involved uh, when his truck got, you know, quote unquote stolen, he was like, man, two niggers just stole my truck, man, like what's going on? Was it necessary? No, but I mean, you're talking the 80s, talking Italian, you know, they had, you know, a little thing with, with, with black people back then. So it's just like, yeah, there's some racial um, opponents that comes to the movie, but it's just like, if you're looking at the, the heart, the art as a whole, it's just like, you know, there, there's a lot of um, great writing, there's a lot of great improv, and there's a lot of great acting. Um, and there's just a fascination that comes to these stories, man. And Martin, has a way of, of, of bringing it to light in these films. And that's the reason why these shits become classics because, you know, when you got things like, one of the funniest things in this movie is when, um, when Ray Liotta was uh, introducing people to us. And then they got to this one guy and he said, <laughs> He said, and then, uh, that's Jimmy two times. He said, the reason we call him Jimmy two times because he said things like this. He said, I'm gonna get the paper, get the paper. And <laughs> that shit is fucking hilarious. 
But uh, just to even think of just putting shit like that in a movie, like it's unnecessary as hell, but it's very necessary. Because it's just like, yo, that's Jimmy two times. They call him Jimmy two times because he say things like, I'm going to get the paper, get the paper. Like that shit is delay. And then he looked goofy as fuck when he said it too. So that's what I'm saying, man. Just little small things like that. Um, that that really, you know what I'm saying, set this movie up, uh, up top, man. So uh, shout out to everybody that's involved in this movie. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to... Now, I'm gonna have to break it down like I did the Irishman, but I'm looking forward to this uh, this movie that he got, uh, Martin got coming out that's supposed to be four hours. Hopefully he don't have uh, Robert De Niro stumping somebody out again. But, you know, until the next time, you know, shout out to my guy, Casey, you know what I'm saying, the music that you hear in the background, appreciate him, and shout out to my guy, Scoots Bronson, that I do the viewers and all that with. Shout out to all the guys, uh, you know what I'm saying, E, C, J, D. Um, I appreciate everybody's support. Um, that's really it, man. Up until the next time, man. This was episode 123 of the 28 Minutes or Less podcast. And I'm out.